Welcome to TLC's Trauma Pod, the trauma podcast hosted by the Lincoln Center for Family and Youth in Audubon, Pennsylvania. The Trauma Pod is a safe place to discuss trauma in all its forms and find meaningful transformational change to healing and growth. Our mission at the Lincoln Center is to transform lives and communities through education, coaching, and counseling. At our core is how we implement our values into our mission every day with our clients and students. We utilize four core values, authentic engagement, meaning-making, personalized support, and stimulated curiosity. Our podcast will seek to authentically engage you to make meaning, stimulate your curiosity, and aid you in finding personal support and connection in each of the podcasts we provide. We thank you for joining us at the Lincoln Center's Trauma Pod podcast. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Amy Scroggin, and I'm joined by my distinguished co-host, Eric Scroggin. As we end 2020 and enter 2021, we seek to understand the year behind us. We hope the year ahead of us is better. However, we know the realities this transitional year may bring. With it, we all have pondered what losses we have experienced this year. And so our source of inspiration we find in a familiar topic grief and loss. December 2020's podcast, our last of this year, is appropriately titled Losing It, Exploring Grief, Mental Health, and a New Year. We begin as we always do with our set of intentions that help us gain focus and develop structure to our thoughts. Our assumptions. Number one, things will work out because I have the ability to handle difficult situations. Number two, if I don't know what to do, I know how to utilize my support systems around me to gain the knowledge. Number three, if I am unable to obtain the knowledge from others, I can learn, though it may take time. Number four, I am a fallible human being. I forgive myself for my humanity and allow myself the grace to learn in order to gain success. Number five. Laughter in trying times allows us to continually forgive ourselves and others. And number six, the only way to fail is to give up. So today we'll be discussing loss, grief, mental health, and a post-2020 new year and what that means for all of us. Eric, welcome. Thank you for having me. So as we discuss this topic, I thought that we might go into the five stages of Kubler-Ross's grief. Are you familiar with this? Yeah, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who is no longer with us, was a Swiss-American psychiatrist. And she sort of conceived that everyone who experiences loss, uh, specifically sort of in the death realm, um, go through these stages. And of course... Uh, it's important to note up front that the stages aren't necessarily in any particular order. Right. Um, I think the way that they're described typically is like a, a quote-unquote normal course 
um, but people jump around sure. uh, these phases, and the last phase is almost always sort of the last phase, which is getting to move past uh, the moment of grief and the difficulty that comes with it. Right. So if for anyone who is not familiar with Kubler-Ross's uh, theory, it is that there's five stages of grief, the first being denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, and finally acceptance. And as you just said, you know, they don't have to be in any particular order. But I think as I was contemplating this topic, I really thought about how loss and grief can be utilized beyond the topic of death. Um, mm -hmm. As Kubler-Ross herself had stated with with regards to even substance abuse, she's utilized this or had mm -hmm. utilized this. Um, and I was really just thinking about how this applies to all of us during a pandemic, a time where that there has been a lot of loss right? Um, and what that means to all of us. And not even just on a broad um, topic, but more of a narrowing down what this really has been for us this past year uh, and how we can apply this grief and loss perspective to what we've been through in 2020. Um, as far as denial is concerned, I remember at the very beginning hearing the word staycation. Did you hear that word a lot at the beginning? The idea that, you know, we were home for a couple weeks and um, calling it a staycation was, hey, we get to be home from work, but we also are doing work, um, but our kids are home and almost as if it was some kind of intermittent vacation of sorts. Yeah, it probably will depend on um, where our listeners are tuning in from, whether it be a different state or another country. But here in Pennsylvania and the U.S., I think the attitude kind of right away was a, we're going to take these two weeks and we're going to kind of just play it uh, as we take it. And after that two weeks, we'll see sort of see where we go. So I think the attitude, at least that I got the impression of right away, was that people were saying, well, this is only going to take two weeks for us to, to manage and understand, and then we'll kind of move forward. Right. And so when you talk about denial, some of it, of course, is what's been presented to you and how you respond to that. And some of it is sort of, you know, this moment of saying, is this really as bad as I worry it's going to be? Sure. Or is it going to be okay? Sure. And the notion being, of course, that's not, that's the majority of us, many essential workers and people who still had to be out on the roads didn't have a staycation and some right. um, jobs didn't have that right at the very beginning. But I think there was a large push, um, you know, as far as schools were concerned, mm -hmm. you know, everybody needs to be sent home for those two weeks. I remember my son getting off the bus and saying, I guess school is canceled, uh, you know, right. <laughs> right. Um, and thinking like, oh, that's it's kind of exciting, but also scary, you know, at that age um, and everything. But just the notion of what denial really means, you know, I think we hear the word denial and we think, um, you know, somebody who is not grasping reality. But I think when you're actually in denial, it's much different than that. It's not the, the reality around you is one that you understand. And it's it's not something that is so obvious to you. Um, when I think about denial, everyone's had this moment in their life where they broke something or that something snapped or something came off the wall or whatever. 
I sort of see denial as that first three seconds after that happens where you literally tell yourself, <laughs> it's fine. It's not broken. Yeah, it's okay. It'll just snap right back into place. Sure. Everything's okay. And I think that the reaction our culture had to uh, the start of the pandemic is, we're, this is okay. Life will go back to normal. Things will sure. be great. It, you know, two weeks of, of, of a break is sort of that three seconds of like, you know, this will fit right back in. It'll go back together. <laughs> sure. Little spit, little polish. It'll be fine. <laughs> right. And I think that um, obviously we're now in sort of like month nine of this process. And we're realizing that two weeks isn't actually representative of the whole arc of the quarantine and the process of working through all these things. Sure, sure. And I remember early on thinking um, that we were in a, in a state where um, we were also really attached to a very new topic and a very new company to, to most of us called Zoom as a way of connecting. I mean, we'd always had FaceTime. We'd right. always had, you know, for people with Skype, iPhones, yeah. we'd always had Skype. We'd always had these things. But it was an alternative to something for people who lived, you know, across the country or another in other countries to be able to connect with family members and now was one of the only ways to connect to people in general um and so a lot of saturday night zoom fests instead of you know going out with a couple of friends or meeting you know having a family over um for family night right. or whatever it might be um and that was still sort of like a placeholder um of sorts during that denial phase of um it's still a way for us to do these things without doing them Right. Yeah. And then I feel like quickly we moved into sort of an anger phase, sure. um, which you say that. I think that many, many people are still in. Mm -hmm. um, if I were to to categorize that, I think that there's a lot of people. I think there's actually a lot of people still in the denial phase of this, if we think about it. And, and, and we could get into sort of what parts of this people are in denial about. Sure. Or what have you. The anger, if we're moving on from, from denial to anger, I think the anger in this situation uh, responding to COVID uh, is very multifaceted. So the anger could look something like, I had all of these plans. These are things that I wanted to accomplish and do, and they all kind of hinged on me being outside and around people and sure. different settings on a plane, things like that. Um, that's the anger at, this is I'm frustrated that this was taken away from me. I think there's also institutional anger. You know, why isn't this fixed? Why isn't sure. this better? Why didn't we prevent this or what have you? There's a lot of opinions about the institutional response to the pandemic. And, and let's be honest, the kind of the situation that we're in and everyone involved, everyone had to make a decision, was given a situation that they had never dealt with sure. to this level before. From the CEOs of companies to people on the front lines uh, to our politicians, they were handed a problem that was unlike anything we've ever dealt with. And I can't, you know, I'm not going to make apologies or excuses, but it just it's important to recognize when we're angry with our leaders and with the decisions made that, of course, it would have been great if X, Y, and Z had happened. But we all have to kind of take that moment of humanity and say we're doing what we can with the tools that we have. And that anger is is aimed at the result you know the result is not what we wanted we wanted this to be bing bang boom to be over. fixed or yeah, yeah to have a band-aid put on it at least to be able to return to everyday life sure. i think the anger i see is an othering 
I think we've talked about this in past podcasts mm-hmm. a little bit and the idea of othering and what that means and that someone is to blame and who are we going right. to find to blame when in actuality, when you think about what um, what a pandemic is all about, it's, a, it's about a disease we didn't know a lot about and we still don't and we're still learning. And our response to that is um, we've had a lot of people who've been very sick or passed away. And as a result of that, you know, who is there to blame um, as part of the grieving process? You know, who who can we other now to be upset with? And um, the anger phase seems to have stuck to a lot of people sure. um, in this phase. You know, and, and anger is, you know, a feeling that we have and we can express, but also a secondary feeling, not a a primary feeling and so what is the feeling underneath that and what does that really mean which we'll get to in a bit um in these five stages right and it's fascinating uh from a psychoanalytic psychoanalytic perspective almost always when you look at anger beneath that is usually sadness um it's disappointment frustration and most often fear right um uncertainty things like that and so the anger in this situation is i think understandable we understand why people are afraid we understand why people are sad and disappointed and frustrated uh and anger is a natural response to the situation i don't think there's a right or wrong to that no i think it's part of the process for a reason i mean it's part of the five stages for a reason yeah um and i would say as an extension of that leading into bargaining um i also think about this as negotiation right um at least from my mindset that you know, you're bargaining, but you're also negotiating. Here's what I'm willing to do. Here's what I, and I feel like this came, I want to say during summer into fall, um, you know, for considering the five stages in order. I saw a lot of people get to that bargaining stage. Well, it's getting warmer. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. And here's why, you know, and there's still a lot of arguing about why that might be, but you know, mental health wise, when we get to that bargaining phase, it's like, well, here's what I'm willing to give up. And here's what I'm not willing to give up. Negotiation, right? compromise. Yeah. yeah, sure. And I've heard a lot of that um, less so in this stage, in this December stage here. Um, more so, I want to say right at the beginning of fall is where I saw a lot of that. Um in terms of negotiating with family or friends and who's willing to go here and who's willing to go there and a lot of judging as well of each other. Sure. And we could, we could probably do an entire podcast (laughs) just talking about how other people have responded to other people responding and and, in that process. So we're talking about Kubler-Ross's stages of grief and bargaining. You probably, if you're not familiar with Kubler-Ross, um, you might be thinking, what am I bargaining? Am I getting coupons? Am I <laughs> trading magic beans for the cow? Bargaining in this sense is, I think, probably best described as sort of pleading. Um, please don't let this be true. Please don't let this be my reality. I'll do whatever it takes to stop this from happening. Um, and sort of the very stereotypical... Uh, Example of this when we're talking about death and dying is like pleading to God, you know, uh, someone who's right. died, please bring them back. You know, I, I'll, I'll do church this every to week. That. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, and, and bargaining, not necessarily even being the operative word. It, it is more pleading. It is please let this not be true. So it's sort of an extension of denial. Yes. I'll, I'll do whatever I can to make the situation not be true. 
Uh, and when we're talking about grief in the pandemic, I think that bargaining and denial have gone hand in hand, especially with, you know, we're, we're going to do this and it'll be like this never happened. Uh, we're going to pretend uh, we're going to go here and do this or we're going to get together or do that. Um, it sort of it, it marries with this idea of if I if I don't see it, it's not a problem. I can I can live in a world where. I know that I have to give some things up, but if I can just tell myself it's going to be okay, that's sort of the bargaining piece I see with, with COVID. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think um, the pleading part, you know, really resonates as far as this. And really, as you were talking, I was thinking about these categories almost as if, you know, if you conceptualize that grief is something like the Titanic, and we know about the Titanic that, you know, when water entered the ship, there were compartments and the idea that one compartment would, was flooded and the next one was flooded and the next one was flooded was what began to sank the actual ship. What sunk the ship was the idea of each compartment flooding. And one so yeah. if we're going to talk about compartments in terms of these five stages being denial and anger, bargaining, sadness, and really acceptance – you know, I, I think that's important to kind of pin at this moment as we're talking about this, as we get to the end of of the stages of, of grief here and sadness and acceptance. You know, you can either allow these aspects of Kubler-Ross's theory to kind of tank you, or you can go through them and attempt to sort of rise to the occasion of what these things mean. I mean, you can judge people for their denial or their anger or their bargaining, or you can understand that this is part of a stage, sure. right? This is something that we go through in order to get to the next stage. And I think in past podcasts, we've talked about entitlement, and we live in a culture that is very self-serving in the sense of wanting something immediately and right. getting something immediately. Mm-hmm. And I think people are in somewhat of a desperation mode attempting to get to that last and final stage of acceptance. You know, when will this be over? Uh, right. when, when will it end? Right. right. And so in this sense, it's not, it's not reversing the process, you know, bringing the person back from the dead, so to speak. It's saying, when can we skip to the end? Uh, and I think that's, uh, it's a process and the process takes time. It requires a lot of moving parts and people doing their jobs, you know, efficiently, effectively, and on time. And uh, I think that we all will feel powerless. Powerless also being one of those feelings that's below anger. Right. I can't affect the outcome. Um, if we talk about the, the pandemic or, or grief in general, there is the sense you're, you're comparing it to the Titanic. The sinking of the Titanic is inevitable after a certain point. Right. At, at a certain point where it's filled with enough water, it's going down. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no. There's no turning back. At this point in time, it's fair to say we can't undo the effects of what we've lived through. We can't unsink the Titanic. We have lost a lot. We've lost not just plans. More importantly, we've lost people. You know, yeah, people to a this lot of de- people. Deadly virus. And you know, as of this recording, we're talking, you know, three hundred and forty thousand Americans um, that, that we have. Um, documented as being deaths related to COVID. Part of the acceptance piece at the end isn't skipping to the end, but recognizing there's a lot about this process that we can't control. We have no, you know, shape uh, and influence over. And um, it's important that 
when we're talking about moving through these stages of grief, not to skip the steps, not to jump to the end. And we've talked about this a lot of times uh, with the therapeutic process in general, people saying like, well, I want to get to the, you know, the breakthrough. I want to get to the Where's the, the catharsis, yeah. Right. And I think that this is definitely a situation, especially after it being, you know, nine months at this point, we can't will or bargain the end to come any sooner. We recognize that. Right. Right. We have to be patient with that and also patient with ourselves and patient with these stages. I mean, these stages, I stated that they were like the Titanic, although they are, in a sense, they bleed together, you know, in difference from the Titanic. These stages are something we may enter, go back to, come, come back to again, you know, depending on where we are personally or what losses we've, we've had, um, during this time and how those affect our very unique selves and how we came to be as individuals. And as we talk about moving into bargaining from bargaining, I want to get into sadness because I feel like this has been probably the most prominent that we've seen lately. Um, at the time that we're taping this, um, in December, the sadness that comes with what we have lost. Right. And um, one of our assumptions is about laughter. And how do you find laughter in a time of sadness? And I was thinking about this in terms of movies. Um, I'm a very big movie buff Mm -hmm. as well, you know, and you are as well. But I often think about the idea of Groundhog Day, the movie. And we talked multiple times at the beginning of the pandemic, you and I, about how every day seems the same. And in the movie Groundhog Day, every day is literally the same for him. He right. gets to relive the same day over and over again. And eventually he gets to the point where he says, this is never going to end. <laughs> you know, this day is always going to be like this until the end of time. And no matter what he tries, no matter what he does, it doesn't get to be a new day. And not until he begins to care about other people and focus less on himself and more on others, does he begin to get closer and closer to that idea of acceptance, that he's accepted his reality of moving past that into a new reality? And I mention that because I think that the sadness phase goes one of two ways. You sit and there's a time to wallow and to be sad. It's an important stage of grief. But there's also a time to understand that, hold on to it, and move forward. Like, move forward past that sadness into an acceptance. And when when do you feel like that will happen? As we're entering into a new year, what I've heard people say over and over again this last week is, I can't wait for 2020 to be over. And the truth right. is we measure you know ourselves by many things i mean companies measure themselves by fiscal years you know we measure ourselves by the year that we're in and we celebrate the end of a year into a new year right how do we celebrate a new year when so many people are full of sadness and full of loss and full of what this year took from them understanding that this next year is going to be a transition year i mean we know that most likely most of us will not receive the vaccine until the summer. Or later, right. Uh, if you're not an essential worker, of course. Um, or later than that. So how do we transition into a new year understanding that things may be somewhat the same? Right. The, there's sort of a trick in saying that 2021 
will be the new year (laughs) when really it's going to be a lot of the same things. People look to the changeover from 31st of December to the 1st of January as an opportunity to say, all right, I'm going to start fresh. I'm going to take all of my opportunities, all of my strengths. I'm going to combine everything and I'm going to be as successful as I possibly can. And what does that look like in a situation where you say all of, or I should say, many of your opportunities and many of your strengths are sort of hamstringed um, or held back in some kind of way? We're also talking about loss. um, We're talking in December about the loss of the holidays. So um, we talk about losing plans. We talk about losing people. People hold on all year um, for Christmas or the other holidays. And I have friends I know who on December 26th will say, all right, 364 more days till next (laughs) Christmas. Sure. And so when you build up uh, a time of the year as being sort of a catharsis and a a relaxation and and coming together um, with people from out of town and things like that, it can be especially crushing for people to lose um, a yearly celebration of togetherness and that's a very good point it's a very good point and you know what one i skipped over i think because um so many of us have discussed the idea of not being around family and not being able to do these things and and um kind of i think hoping and believing that maybe by this time we would be able to do these things you know or at least have that hope um ahead of us and hope is a very important thing um you and i discuss this quite frequently the idea of living um living for the light and the dark at at some point and and i think that many of us still need to do that moving forward and new year is an exciting time because it is a start over um but i guess what i'm addressing is the sadness that is still ensuing for many during this period of time and the holidays you're right Uh, during the holidays you know i often think of uh again a movie i think of the grinch I think, you know, as a little girl, I watched The Grinch a lot. I loved that movie. And, but just the thought process around what The Grinch says on Christmas, you know, it came without boxes, it came without tags. Right. But they were all together. Right. That right. Was the saving grace was the, the saving grace. The got to be together. Was they got to be together. Right. So the lesson of, of the year, you know, usually at this time is, but we get to be together. Right. And this year we did not. And so the sadness that goes with that is quite consuming for many um like you're like you're talking about no matter what holiday you celebrate and um so in in a sadness period of time where you know you feel like there is no end to something you know how do you give people hope into a new year you know especially when there's been so much loss you know you and i see trauma in our work all the time and trauma you know is a period of time that ends but also sticks with you what will we be looking into in 2021 when people are still reeling from some of these losses right so you know you and i represent we're sort of ambassadors for the therapeutic process and so when we talk about these things we have to be able to say we recognize the problem and we recognize you know what are some of the solutions it's important that as we sort of um, you know, kind of come out of the problem later on, whenever that tends to happen, there will be a lot of work I feel that people will want to do in saying, what just happened to me? What happened to my life? I think about kids who you know, maybe miss a year and a half of, of social interaction with peers, people, um, you know, maybe thinking that 2020 was going to be their year, 
Um, and sure. so I think it's important to say that the therapeutic process will be an important one to pursue for some uh, during the pandemic and some maybe only getting the perspective of what they lost at the end. You know, there will be a moment for some people, the sadness of having an, you know, the sort of the retrospective here's March, April, May, June, July, all of these things that passed us and thinking, wow, the totality of the pandemic did this all to me and to the people that I love. Right. And so I, I hope um, when we're talking about sadness, sometimes people use the word despair. Sure. Um, you know, in this process, I hope that there is that looking towards the light at the end of the tunnel, um, as opposed to sitting and staying in the sadness, saying these are the things that make me upset. These are the things that I missed. These are the things that I'm, uh, you know, the, or the people that I lost. Right. And now I want to do this about it. Right. Well, and I think as we come to a mental health piece about this, I think that I I saw a post just this week with regards to mental health on Facebook from a parent who had said, I'm done with this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and it was a very eloquent post, um, but it was about how they genuinely feel on the inside. Um and what many months of this has done right. to them, like what what they've collectively lost, like a little bit each month, um, and, and right. showing at the end what that really has yielded them. And when we think about generations before us, when a hundred years ago this has, this has happened to you know our previous generations, right. we think about the impact that had happened many years after that as well, of course, um, and sort of desperation and feelings of. Um, loneliness and sadness, but also e- each one of these categories, we can find someone in right now. Denial, and, and, and maybe anger. people well after it's over will be in denial that it ever happened, or people will still be bargaining. I wish I could get some of these things back, right? Or even the sadness piece, and the reason I right. mentioned this in terms of mental health is with regards to the word fear, and um, you know, people who have natural anxieties um in a day-to-day living world pre-2020 um we may be seeing a lot of agoraphobia after this we may be seeing an enormous amount of depression Mm -hmm. um we know for a fact that domestic violence is on the rise as well as homicidal ideation and suicidal ideation so just i mean there's a lot of things that are going to come after this that I think that we will have to wrestle with as mental health therapists, but also as individuals. And I think my biggest question is, what do you think it's going to take? This is a question really putting out into the world Mm -hmm. for us to take these losses and see what we've actually will have gained in acceptance. When will we reach some of these periods of acceptance or when will we begin to see people who have fully accepted this, as a reality have we seen some of those have you seen any of them right so i we talked before a couple of episodes ago about po- toxic positivity right and i'm sure there are people in this situation dealing with pandemic who are kind of just you know grinning and bearing it and saying gosh isn't it great that we got to be so close to each other isn't everything grand <laughs> and sure. i hope that the people who have come to accept the situation for what it is um have been able to go through the different stages and have been able to experience 
the heights and the depths and all and everything in between, as opposed to just saying like, wow, wow, you know, what a great year it was because we had these opportunities, which I'm sure there's there's a lot of silver linings. There's a lot of great things that people have been able to do. Well, and also, actually, I think what you're describing is denial. Because it's if you really, it, right, it's a, like a form of denial to immediately accept something. Like, oh, okay, this is great. You know, it, it was, here's all the blessings that we got from this. Listen, there are plenty of blessings that many people have gotten from this being home and being sure. able to have family time and sure. those kind of things, the things that we may not be able to have experienced or appreciated. Right. Um, some people may not have been able to appreciate prior to this. But the actual act of going through these difficult stages will yield a more cathartic acceptance than a denial fused based, I want to say, acceptance. Right. And, and again, one of the themes we've talked about before is the idea of letting the process unfold naturally. And acceptance is not something you can skip to. The toxic positivity denial aspect of like, I just jumped to acceptance. Everything's fine. I, I got over it. It's over. Sure. Um, you know, we're recording this at the end of 2020. So it's not over. You know, there's a lot of things that are still have to unfold and happen. And um, I, I imagine when all of this sort of, you know, resolves and we, we get to move on with our lives, that might be the time that most people have accepted, you know, all of this, the different stages and gone through them all. Sure. I'm, I'm picturing in my mind maybe there'll be a monument, you know, or, or something like a memorial, hmm. something that our, our culture may come together and, and recognize the heights and the lows of right. the situation. And that might be a great way artistically for our generation to say, this is what this meant to us. And hopefully, you know, looking to the far flung future for, you know, 2120 and people being able to say, wow, this is what these people went through and this is what they experienced high and low and in between. That's really interesting that you say that because I had this thought process this week where I was thinking specifically about how do you conceptualize loss when you can't visually see it? So let's say, for example, um, in some of our other losses in American history, something like 9-11. Many of us who live through that period of time have a visual of what that looks like in our right. head. We actually process some of these feelings of grief and loss as we were watching these things happen it's a, an historical event unlike any other because we have video evidence we do which yeah. is quite astounding and usually not something that many of us have ex ever experienced before because either you have to be there right and part of the event but media has allowed us the opportunity both positive things in our lives and negative things in our lives, what we call uh, micro traumas, you know, and which I would, I would actually argue that it's more of a macro trauma. 9-11? Sure. Uh, well, yeah. I'm talking and in terms COVID. of those yeah. who were watching it only on television versus going through it, you know, the individuals who had to go through the actual trauma of the event. Right. You know, like we, we consider micro traumas. Um, uh, there was a period of time where this terminology was used a lot in the idea of school shootings and um, witnessing things on TV that were very traumatic, especially uh, news news related um, right. traumas. Being okay. aware of traumatic events happening and therefore receiving some of the 
the splash, the aftershock, if you will, Mm -hmm. and what that means towards your anxiety or sending your child to school or going into work yourself as Mm -hmm. someone who works in a school. You know, those feelings of um, things that impact you as a result of what you've seen. Mm -hmm. And what I've been thinking about a lot with regards to a very visual society that we are right now is the notion that we are unable to see what COVID actually does visually. Okay, so as therapists, many of us are familiar with the term grounding, the idea that we use our five senses in order to connect to ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of touch and taste and sight and smell and all of the aspects that we connect to in order to bring ourselves back home to ourselves, to connect to the grounded human being that we are. So how do we conceptualize in some ways these losses? You know, many people are saying, um, you know, to lose 340,000 lives, right, is we cannot see that. It's not something we can physically see, right? But we can understand that it's a truth. But the idea that many of us have had people pass away this year and you cannot go to their funeral, the reason that as a culture we have funerals right is not for the person i mean it is for the person of course but it's for the people who attend it's for the loved ones it's for the people to come to an aspect of closure a feeling of understanding the gravity of the laws visually to being able to touch each other tactically right to be able to do yeah to do all of these things within a period of time that allows us to properly grieve right what i feel as a therapist has been missing is that general notion of our humanity, the ability to connect as humans, the ability to understand and, and connect to those grounding pieces that allows us to understand loss and grief. One of the privileges of the situation that we may not appreciate until maybe later on is that the experience of the macro loss, the 340,000 people who died We've been sanitized from that process. Like they weren't blown up on camera, um, or, or, you know, or, you know, uh, when, like when Pearl Harbor was bombed, we, we, sure. we know that this, this happened immediately, very suddenly, and, and a lot of death and dying. These things are all happening in hospitals where people are alone. And for some people, there's, there's no one in the room when these things happen. And so we're sanitized from the immediate grief. What a great word. Of seeing the death and the dying. Yeah. And the privilege there is not being traumatized by that process. And yet it's such an essential piece to understanding the gravity of the situation is saying, I have seen this. I understand it. I can contextualize what I have seen with these things. And um, I I think it's fascinating um, that we've been able to visually see sometimes the arc of these stories on social media sure so and i'm sure i'm sure that people listening have seen an example of something like this on facebook or twitter where a person might say went to a party then they'll say i got sick and then someone later on will say you know rest in peace passed away whoever and and it 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 does sort of tell a story again removed sanitized again removed but we do get a chance to understand um, you know, the perniciousness of the disease. We understand how quickly people can go from being very healthy, fine people to not. 
And um, we understand Shame. that because we're, we're, we're listening to the news. We understand these things. And still, because the people are alone and they're in these hospitals that are far away, um, we don't get to experience them. Um, death is something that we could just talk about death for another podcast. Sure, right. <laughs> and there's a lot of discussion around before the Civil War in America, there was a, a tendency that families would keep the body of the deceased yes. in their homes and they would invite people over yes. um, and to visit grandpa in the bed and, and, and to see him there and to, and, and to make it very real and to pay tribute to them. And um, the civil war kind of changed things because it, it, it added the whole embalming process and that sure. was, they wanted to bring people home from war, et cetera. So there was a very kind of like, it is what it is approach to this is death. This is what it looks like. This is the person who was here and, and and this is their body, and they're no longer here. This is celebration visually. And I'm seeing images on the news. They have these refrigerated um, trucks. Trucks. Yes. And what's in the trucks? Bags. Well, we, we think there's bodies in the bags, but we can't, we don't have the connection to those as people. We see bags. Well, and this is a, this is a very obviously morbid part of our topic. However, very necessary, I think, because yes. this is how we get to an acceptance and understanding. And I think that this can be a very upsetting topic for many people based of off course. of where they are in their lives. And I want to note that note that as we're talking about it. However, I think very necessary to move many of us past this sadness and to embrace the lives, the lives that we have. I know many people who've said, I feel like my life is on pause. Like someone hit the pause button and I'm not allowed to hit it until everyone else, until, until we're safe, right? And the idea being, you know, there is still life to live during these times. There are still things sure. that we have to move forward and have hope for. And the idea of a new year is hope. The idea of anything anew is hope. A new baby, a new a new puppy, a new any of anything, a new job, a new experience, right? Is the idea of hope is looking ahead, looking ahead of you. Um, it's bigger than you. It's something that's part of our natural process. Right. And when we have something to look forward, mm -hmm. our life fills in the gap between us and that event with structure. Yes. Two more weeks, one more week, three more days. Um, and I think you and I, before the podcast, talked about one of the things that we have lost um, as a culture is our normal structure and things that we can we can rely on, things that we know are going to happen in a sure. certain order. And, um, and I think about kids. You know, a kid yeah. who was forgetful always had that teacher to put their hand on their shoulder and say, Timmy, where's your homework? But now Timmy has to submit the homework from his bedroom on his computer and there's no one there to remind him. So, or at the very least it's not the same. And so the structure right. is, is a piece that we're grieving as well. So many people have felt successful with the things that were in place that now working from home or doing school from home or, and a lot of people losing their jobs yeah, as a result absolutely. of the pandemic. We, we don't give enough, I think, importance and weight that jobs have for people. Of course. Uh, it, not only does it give them a paycheck, which is great. Uh, it does not only give them something to do, which is great. It also gives a lot of people, many people, a sense of purpose. This is sense what I do. This is what I'm good at. This is how I, you know, feel good about my, my talents and my skills. 
Well, I think that we actually, I think you're 100% right on that because I think that we forget the amount of pride that people get from work. I think that in general, most people want to be working. You know, people want to have a purpose and fulfill that and to be able to have pride in coming home and providing for their families or providing for themselves, but also being able to go somewhere every day and say, this is what I do, like you said. And to not have those things and to not have that structure, especially for kids, like you said, is so difficult. And especially this length of time. Right. Um, because now what I'm hearing from more and more teachers as well is the idea and the notion that you've been in this long enough now. So you should know right. that this is this and that is that. Which we do, have, of course, have to hold our children to high standards as we do in our jobs and everything else. Consequences matter. However, you know, we're all still adjusting to this. Our kids... Um, most of all, I want to say in terms of um, this is a time to be social, to understand um, and to learn, you know, from your peers, but also to understand yourself. So just in terms of wrapping up this piece about sadness, because we've talked mostly about this, because I do think that this is where we are primarily. I think a lot of people are in and out of different sections of Kubler-Ross's five stages, but I do feel like right now sadness is a very large piece of that is how do we manifest the the actual will to move towards hope, to move towards the gains, to move towards acceptance? Because many people are feeling very down, very unmotivated. Um, you know, what would you say as a therapist, you know, talking to, you know, you talk to kids every day. Sure. But what what kind of advice would you offer from one human to another? Because we're also human beings going through this ourselves. But what would you offer and what do you offer to the people that you see? One of the ways that we talk about accessing hope is understanding that, you know, we say anxiety is the uneasiness with the uncertainty with the future. Hope is sort of the opposite of that. It's the excitement about the uncertainty of the future. We have no idea when everything is going to snap back into place or if it will. Right. And so part of accessing hope is this idea that because the future hasn't been sort of written yet, the future can be lots of great things. It can also be some bad things too. How do I help a person access hope is to ask a person to access their imagination and to think about all of the things that are possible. The problem right now is when we talk about a pre-COVID time is you start having people grab onto tangible things like this is a sign that hope is working for me. These are the things that are, you know, coming together for me. Um, and without a resolution to this macro trauma, um, it, it starts to feel difficult to, to grab onto the treasure sure. uh, of success. But what I would ask people in terms of moving from sadness towards hope and then acceptance of the situation is saying that the opportunity for life to be something different and better after all of this is over is immense. I remember reading early on uh, in the pandemic a couple of essays about maybe we don't need things to go back to normal. Maybe we can conceive of things being there's pre-COVID 
Sure. There's COVID. And then there's a third thing that can be <laughs> something else. There's after COVID. And, you know, if you think of the beginning of the year, like New Year's coming up, as sort of that resetting the clock and resetting your goals and setting resolutions, maybe one of the things that we can help people look forward to is what are your post-COVID resolutions? Like what are mm. the things that you feel like you can do now that you've had this time um, away from regular life and you're returning to something that feels more normal, what can that life look like for you? That's, yeah, I really like that. Especially since if we're talking about what Kubler-Ross defined as acceptance, because I think that's really important, is the idea of exploring options, new, putting a new plan in place, not an old plan, not going back to an old plan, but putting in a new plan, like you just said. And the last and final part of that is moving on, moving on past these things. It doesn't mean, and anyone who's experienced a trauma would know that moving on doesn't mean that you don't experience after effects of a trauma you spend actually most of your life just managing some of those things that come from having a trauma it's not a destination it's a continual journey and like trauma there may be some things that happen post-covid you know maybe you see a roll of toilet paper or you see the numbers 2020 or or, or you, you see someone cough for example exactly there may be these moments where you're brought back into the macro trauma of of the pandemic and, and experiencing these things but like with trauma the more time that passes between you and the event you, you feel like you have you've been able to heal more and i think that healing is such an important part of um the end of the stage of of grief is being able to say like okay now that all of this has happened and I have let the gravity sink in for me, I can start to kind of heal and move and move towards a healthier version of, of what I have been to something else. Well, and I think one last thing that I'd like to say as we wrap up here is the idea that our American culture is one of the only cultures that doesn't value the elderly as other cultures do. And the reason I mention that specifically is because our elders went through this before yes. and we heard stories of everyone has one, but either a, a grandparent or a great grandparent um, who was different after the depression, who was different right. after the pandemic, who was different after all of these things and who kept yeah. cash in the mattress and sure. didn't trust banks anymore and, you know, made sure that they had 50 cans of soup in the basement. And, you know, we take those things as, oh, crazy old grandma or crazy old this or crazy old that. But the truth of the matter is many people uh, use preparation as a way of managing their their anxieties. And so many of us may find, you know, moving forward that we have a stash, you know, in our basement of food or things that mm -hmm. we were worried about having or you know, those kind of things. It's, I think it's important that we honor our elders and we think about what we've learned and we move forward past that. We don't just take these lessons now and just forget them. Right. Um, right. And, and I, I think that everyone probably had this moment at the beginning of the pandemic where they're wondering, what if there's no clean water? Sure. You know, what if the food runs out? What if the toilet paper runs out? And I think that the trauma of that moment is the abject terror of yes. the idea, not just that I'm going to miss that party. But what if I don't have what I need to survive? Well, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We've talked about that before. But going back down to what's our hierarchy look like, right? And so 
I love that part of what we just did in this podcast is we went through each one of these stages ourselves. We just went through what it looks like to have all of these things. But what does it look like to have this acceptance? And I love what you said about creating a post-COVID grouping of things you would like to have as almost resolutions, things you would like to accomplish, things you would like to get to. And not in spite of COVID, but because of COVID. Right. And and, and I know this, this term gets thrown around a lot in different contexts, but maybe the people who are listening to this, hi, hello, uh, maybe you feel like something was taken from you as a part of this. And I hope that if you do make post-COVID resolutions, that you have a sense of reclaiming yes. the opportunity to do things, maybe not the exact same things. Maybe you don't get to go on that exact same vacation or see those exact same people. But that opportunity of seizing the opportunity to do something that you wouldn't have been able to do during COVID. And I, and I hope that as much as we've been sad and numb and upset, that one of the things we can look forward to on some level is the crest of the wave to go back up again and that you will experience sort of a possibly a rush of excitement about the new things that you weren't able to do maybe even before COVID. And I think in addition to that, the idea that you can appreciate these things like you maybe hadn't, I mean, maybe you did appreciate them before, but maybe in a way you could even appreciate more now that you're able to do those things again. You know, I remember the last time that I went to the movies Mm -hmm. and how important movies are to me. And I haven't done that in over nine months Mm -hmm. and what that will look like when I'll be able to do that again and how exciting that will be. So I hope that this discussion about Kubler-Ross helped you in some way to understand not only what you've been through, but where you may be in the stages and sort of giving yourself the forgiveness like we talk about in our initiation of the beginning of this, this whole podcast where we talk about our assumptions. Right that you allow yourself the idea of humanity and you forgive yourself for your transgressions, for your family's transgressions, for anyone else around you, and you find some semblance of peace during a very difficult holiday season, probably one you've never experienced before. Right. Maybe maybe one of the positive things that will come out of this experience is being able to look to your left and look to your right and say, that person suffered. And that person suffered and I suffered and we shared something together. And because I would hope people would forgive me for being the worst that I was and being in the worst mood and in the worst place, I can then extend to my neighbor. I understand you were probably in the worst place as well. Sure. An acceptance of, um, you know, transgression, the, the, the acceptance of saying, I know that you were not at your best. I know that you weren't feeling great. Uh, and, you know, it just so happens to be that the year that we had the pandemic for the United States was also an election year. Um, there was political unrest. There was lots of things this year where we were comparing ourselves to our neighbors. But maybe one of the positive things that we can do is finding the similarity, you know, in the sort of the communal familiarity of you went through this and I went through this. We all went through it together. Let's hope this ends as a connecting piece right. for humanity. I, I never before... Have I heard of something that has connected every country mm-hmm. on this planet at the same time? Everyone yep. is going through this at the same time. Uh, we just talked about American history and, and things like that that have happened to us, but this is happening to everyone around the world. So if you're listening to this, thank you for joining us. We really uh, welcome 
any comments or questions that you may have, uh, you can email me or Eric at Amy A. Scroggin at thelincolncenter.com or E. Scroggin at thelincolncenter.com. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to having a new podcast in 2021. Happy New Year.